Gator Nation and welcome into the latest edition of Locked On Gators, your team every day. I'm your host, Zach Albaverde, staff writer for the Lake City Reporter. What's up, Florida fans? Welcome into the latest edition of Locked On Gators. On today's show, we will be joined by Graham Hall from the Gainesville Sun to preview the early signing period for the Florida Gators. Graham and I will make some predictions on the prospects we'll be deciding Wednesday, and Graham will also discuss some UF hoops and give some thoughts on the Gators revamping their offense. Here was my conversation with Graham this week. We now welcome in Graham Hall from the Gainesville Sun to talk some Florida football recruiting, preview early signing day, and talk some Gator hoops. Graham, welcome back into Lockdown Gators. How's it going, my friend? Phew, full slate, man. It seems like the season, you think it's over, but really this is the busiest time of the year for Dan Mullen and his coaching staff trying to find the next Gators, and that all takes place tomorrow and it's all always good to be here and talk with you all things gators and especially some gators hoops who play providence tonight so my pleasure being here with you you always do a great job and it's an exciting signing day i know that you kind of taken a step back from when you used to write great features about every single recruit on their way to gainesville you're still doing a lot of good work you've what three recruiting videos commitment videos this this class alone yeah i got a bowman the pouncey brothers joshua braun wasn't a commitment video but uh certainly a a big get for florida he started practicing with the team this week and one of the big pieces of the class that's already in place before we run through all the guys that are deciding tomorrow and you and i give our picks and the fact that florida has a chance to finish with a top 10 class and a top 10 ranking last year and now in this year they have a chance to finish with a top five ranking in recruiting and a top five ranking on the field I think that progress from one year to the next is kind of what you want to see if you're a Florida fan. Absolutely. I think that there are many ways that you could look at this class. I think some people every single year, Zach, are going to have these top five expectations where if you're not in the top five, then you're really not doing an adequate job to win at Florida. I don't really think that's true. I think there's a lot of things that go into that. Not only is Dan Mullen proven that he can do, I think, a lot more with less talent, uh, whether it was at Mississippi State and and now his first two years at Florida, uh, I think you can say that he's overachieved based on the talent that he's brought in. So the way that Florida's recruiting right now with their class currently ranked number seven in the country heading into National Signing Day, that really should translate to these top five expectations that many people have. And and we will see, obviously, in the future if that comes to fruition. But as you well know, the, the other big side of it is that classes like this, you have to kind of recruit two, three, four years in advance, Zach, to really make uh, a significant chance at finishing top five. Absolutely. And and when you go through a coaching change 24 months ago where the coach comes in at the middle of that cycle when kids are entering the most significant year, the junior season, to reestablish those relationships and enter a whole nother part of the country, which Dan Mullen did coming from Mississippi to the southeast to the state of Florida – when you do that, there's a lot of ground that you have to make up. And to compete with the Clemsons and the LSUs, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, there's five right there. And, and there's Wisconsin, Penn State. You get my drift. There's so much work that Florida would have to do in order to get a top five class after a coaching change that it is impressive that Florida's right here competing with some of these established national contenders. And the other factor is when you look at what they're addressing, both sides of the line. Yeah, uh, which is huge. That's huge for Florida to develop that. But also 
there's a tendency for those prospects not really to be ranked these top 50 players that a lot of people are desirable. Florida's getting very high-quality offensive linemen like Isaiah Walker and Josh Brown, whose commitment story you broke. You look at those players, that's addressing needs for Florida. That's not going to give them the top five ranking, but ultimately the former is much more impressive and necessary than the latter, Zach. Now let's go through some of these guys that are going to be deciding on Wednesday. We're going to go through six. There'll be a couple others that also maybe have the Gators as a hat on the table, but really only six that they're in contention with. And we'll start with the running back position because that's been kind of a hot topic for Florida recruiting fans in this cycle. The Gators have yet to land a pledge at that position. They had Kayvon Lee committed. He decided to reopen his recruitment. Florida not really a factor for him anymore. A guy who will be deciding on Wednesday is a UF legacy, EJ Smith, the son of Emmett Smith. His choices are going to be Florida, Texas A&M, and Stanford. A guy that I think Florida fans have always been fond of, would have liked to add him as a part of this class. He'll make his choice. What are your thoughts on him and maybe some reasons why he won't go to Florida if that ends up being his decision? Yeah, he is going to announce tomorrow, so we will have a little more clarity there. But this is a situation, I think, where there's a lot of mutual understanding on both sides. He sees that his dad, Emmett Smith, the legacy that he left at the University of Florida, that's a huge shadow for him to step into. and It's a little bit different than Kelvin and Fred Taylor. A little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and that guy, Kelvin, had a very successful uh, UF career, I yeah, think. Yeah, 1,000-yard season. And, and especially considering the circumstances, a guy who went through a coaching change as well. So certainly I think... They got chewed out on the sidelines, it, too. It's sad, that, that. it's sad that that gif is part of his legacy, unfortunately. A guy who did play a little bit in the NFL for a year. So... I think that Florida really has been okay the entire time being a backup option for E.J. Smith. I, I think that this is a kid who has had aspirations of going to Stanford, Texas A&M. Those two programs have always been a little more, uh, carried a little more luster for him on the recruiting trail. But Florida's need for a running back has made him relook at things, I think, here in the last few weeks. I don't think that's going to be enough to pull him away from either Texas A&M or Stanford. So Florida's just going to be a hat on the table, which really when you're talking about a legacy for someone like Emmett Smith's son, that really is just kind of all you can ask for in this case because the last thing you ever want to do is leave a bad taste in the mouth of Emmett Smith himself. I think that he can walk away from the scenario not feeling as if his legacy may be sullied if anything happens to his son's career. If his son doesn't live up to his own name, it'd be horrible to see many people attack him on social media for something like that, for not living up to one of the greatest running backs of all time. It's incredible you know, to even have to think of it like that, but that's a scenario that you're dealing with when you are a guy like Emmett Smith. So certainly for Florida, I think that this guy will wind up in the, in the SEC, but I don't think it's going to be with the Gators. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that he's going to choose Texas A&M. And for Florida fans that are waiting for the Gators to land a running back and they're going to tune in tomorrow and see a legacy not end up at Florida, some might be like, what the heck? And I think as you just alluded to, this is a different situation in terms of a guy that's going to play where his father played. The pressure that comes with following in the footsteps of Emmett Smith, the NFL's all-time leading rusher and a guy who's just an absolute stud in Florida football history. Again, Fred Taylor was one of the greatest running backs in school history, but still didn't have the sh- didn't cast the shadow that Emmett Smith did and you have to also consider this. Kelvin Taylor grew up in the state of Florida. He was a Gator fan growing up and he actually even played for the Gators in high school uh, in Belle Glade. So 
with EJ, he's grown up in Texas. He doesn't have that draw to the in-state Florida because he's not from the Sunshine State. His dad just played here. So the dynamic is not the same. I think that Texas A&M does offer that in-state appeal, and I do think that he ends up with the Aggies. Uh, Florida will still find a running back in this class, but just maybe not the one or the ones that maybe fans would have hoped for. Another guy who will be deciding on Wednesday is Sam Brown, wide receiver out of Georgia. Florida, Georgia, Ole Miss, some of the recent offers for him. He took an official visit to Florida this past weekend. What are your thoughts on the Gators kind of finding, I guess, one more receiver target because they wanted to add at least one more prospect at that position along with the commits that they have? And it looks like they've kind of zeroed in on Sam Brown. Yeah, you know, you talk so often about how important that junior season is for a prospect and how that senior season is really meant for recruiting and shoring up your offers. And, And I think that Sam Brown is more proof of the latter. That is a guy who was committed just a few weeks ago to UCF. No offense to that program, and now he's going to wind up in the SEC somewhere. A committable offer from Florida. They really like his tape. I, you know, I think that you can use the word underrated. I, I don't know. That depends on how much credence you give to some of these recruiting sites. This is a kid whose film and, and his stats, I think, live up to a four-star wide receiver billing. There's a lot of, I think, underrated talent in this wide receiver class. I mean, guys like Leonard Manuel were top 100 players at this time last year and have fallen all the way down to the 250s. So who really knows how a lot of this talent is going to shake out? Sam Brown is a guy who, once Florida offered him, Georgia came calling fairly (laughs) soon, and Florida fans were very quick to take note of that. They're trying to mess up Florida's recruiting. Absolutely, And, and I think that they saw right away that his talent justified being in the SEC and and whether it's at Ole Miss who again you mentioned is a dark horse in this for certain uh whether it's Florida or whether it's Georgia I think someone's getting a very talented wide receiver and and Florida I think has an extremely good chance one because and this is something I think we say all the time the staff does a very good job evaluating on film and then breaking down for prospects what they like about their film and what they can do better and that happened with Sam Brown when when he got contacted by Billy Gonzalez he's smart enough to ultimately see what Georgia was trying to do what Ole Miss is trying to do there with Lane Kiffin although again Lane Kiffin I don't think you ever can really count him out uh, on the recruiting trail I'm a big fan of him so Certainly we'll have to see, but if you're a Florida fan, this is certainly one to watch tomorrow. The Gators have a very good chance at landing Sam Brown. I agree, and I, I think that when he puts that hat on, it will be for Florida. That That's probably the guy that, of all the ones deciding tomorrow, I feel best about Florida landing just because of the factors and the fact that he's coming fresh off the visit. Let's move over to the defensive side of the ball. We'll look at some buck prospects, two guys that are going to be deciding on Wednesday. We'll start with Morvin Joseph, the former Florida commit. He took a visit to UF uh, recently and also took a visit to Tennessee, also took a visit this past weekend to Florida State, kind of a late trip that Mike Norvell was able to pull off. He was also committed to the Seminoles after he backed off his pledge to UF. So a lot of in-state schools have been in the mix, but I actually think that he's going to wind up at Tennessee. And I think that because of Donald Harris, who we'll talk about in a minute, he might not be a take for Florida at this point in the process. Yeah, I think that when you look at what Florida needs at, at Buck, at, even at outside linebacker, they're pretty set with their needs. They added Brenton Cox, a former five-star. They've got Antoine Powell, the number nine weak side defensive end in the country coming in. And then they've got Derek Wingo, the number 19 overall rated prospect in the 2020 class by rivals. So certainly I think that when you look at what Florida's bringing in, it's it's no knock on Morvin Joseph's game. He could certainly be playing for, like you said, Jeremy Pruitt's defense up there at Tennessee. I don't think that he really would prefer to enter that situation uh, at FSU the way things went 
considering he was committed there. Willie Taggart's departure changed that for him really, really quickly. This could be an interesting one where FSU does kind of come back into the mix into the final 24 hours, but I do think that he winds up in the SEC at Florida's SEC East rival, Zach. And then Donald Harris, this guy's, ah, man, I think he's kind of a coin flip. I, I really don't know how to feel about his recruitment. I think that if Florida maybe would have got on him a little bit sooner, maybe pressed him that he could be in the class right now as opposed to being the Texas A&M commit. They're trying to see on Wednesday if they can flip him from the Aggies. Like I said, I'm kind of back and forth on this one. How, how, where are you feeling? Main thing is really interesting. When already committed to Texas A&M, he committed there on November 11th, tweeted out that he would be signing between either Texas A&M or the Gators. So certainly a lot of Florida fans got pretty excited about landing a top 50 player in the country in Donnell Harris. From the state of Florida. From the state of Florida. Miami. So, you know, Zach, a lot of credence to your point that a year where Florida State and Miami are down, the Gators weren't really going after too heavy uh, a top 50 player in the state that really fit their needs. But they are trying to make up some lost ground. They look like they've done all they can considering how late they came into the mix here. They are going to be a hat on the table tomorrow. He announces at 4 p.m., I don't know, Zach. I'm, I'm very torn on this one as well. I, I think that the Gators have done all they could, like I said, to make up a lot of ground here. But I, I do think that there's a very solid chance that he sticks with Texas A&M. And there's a little bit of confidence, I think, coming out of Florida's side that they've made enough of an effort to flip him. But we've kind of seen this before where they've been a little bit, uh, I think, higher on their chances than they may actually be. I'm not going to count Jimbo Fisher and the deep pockets of the state of Texas out. So we'll have to see for this one, but the Gators may come away with a steal of a top 50 overall prospect in the 2020 class that really would certainly match what they're doing defensively right now. I'm going to go with the in-state team here. I think the Gators can pull it off probably now the third year in a row where you've seen them pull off a big-time flip on signing day. Certainly, Emory Jones in the first class and some other guys that they flipped. You want to uh, mention Malik Langham? Yeah, Malik Langham as well. Definitely getting uh, the defensive lineman that they got last year, Chris Bogle. And if they can get Donnell Harris, like you said, a top 50 prospect, a guy from the state of Florida, that you want to be able to take advantage of the fact that you're state champs and that you keeping him away from the in-state Hurricanes and away from Florida State, if you lose him to Texas A&M, that kind of hurts a little bit, and I think that the fact that they've come in here late, if they don't land him, I don't think it's going to hurt from a depth perspective, but from a class and, and how much you could boost their ranking and how much you could just help their profile within the state to go down to South Florida and land a stud like this, I think it would be huge, and I think that they'll find a way to pull it off. David Turner, Todd Grantham, what they've done on the defensive side of the ball in this class, I think that they could just cap it off by getting Harris. The final two prospects that we'll talk about previewing for the early signing period is the defensive tackles who just visited this past weekend Clyde Pender out of Sefner Armwood Timothy Smith out of Sebastian River let's start with Pender he's been committed to North Carolina when the Gators kind of entered the mix after his senior season you saw their assistants get frustrated from UNC that the Gators were trying to make a late run at Pender he took a visit this past weekend definitely if he decides to join the class he'll be one of the lower rated defensive tackle prospects I will be surprised if they're able to get both of them. I think that it's possible, but what what are your thoughts on Pinder and whether he stays committed to North Carolina or makes the leap to Florida and comes and joins a really big defensive tackle class? Yeah, like you said, Mac Brown and UNC did a very solid job 
at making Pinder feel like a priority right away. And like you said, he would be probably the lowest rated recruit aside from punter Jeremy Crawshaw uh, to in Florida's 2020 class. So I would be surprised at this point if Pinder ends up flipping. I think he has a solid chance to contribute as a freshman at UNC where he would be almost a guaranteed redshirt and developed player for Florida. Certainly, I think that if they're going after a weak side defensive end, they would obviously rather have Donnell Harris if they can have their pick. But sure. Florida may not be in that situation right now. I don't think that they... They land Pinder. I think they have a much better chance with Tim Smith. Florida really has been pushing him to flip throughout his commitment to Alabama. David Turner has done everything he possibly can to tell him that he wouldn't just be an afterthought after Florida already landed Gervon Dexter and Jalen Lee. He'd be a valuable contributor in, in that very strong defensive tackle class that the Gators have built here. I think that the Gators have a very solid shot. I want to go 60-40 Florida that he does flip from Alabama. I'm not positive, but I think the Gators have done all they can here and that it will come true on signing day. In another year where the Gators don't have four defensive tackles committed, that they probably are able to get Pinder, I just don't know. And again, if he decides to sign up and come play with this group, props to him for not being worried about competition and the the fact that he feels like he could get in and earn a spot. Now the Gators have only signed one true defensive tackle in the last three years. So that's why they're loading up at that position and what they're telling those guys in terms of the opportunities and reps that they'll get. I just feel like the fact that he knows that Gervin Dexter and some of those other guys are already committed, that Timothy Smith could likely join as well. I just think that's too much for Pender to make the switch, and I think that he sticks with North Carolina. Timothy Smith, man, it's hard to walk away from Alabama. It is hard to be a Bama commit, be committed to that program, But we've seen Dan Mullen get some top guys to do it. Jacob Copeland in the 2018 class, Malik Langham, who you also mentioned, Chris Vogel last year, and Timothy Smith, could he be the latest example? I think that it's probably more leaning towards Ford. I don't think it's much of a coin flip as Harris is, but I feel like the relationship that he has with some of the commits in this class and the fact that his parents will be able to come and see him play for the Gators which Joseph Hastings told me is something that matters a lot to him, that kind of favors Florida. I think that in the end, when he has to put pen to paper, that it'll be for the Florida Gators. And if they can find a way to flip Timothy Smith, that alone I think would make for a successful signing period. If you get Sam Brown on top of that and you find a way to flip Donald Harris too, the Gators will be winners on Wednesday. So a lot to look forward to, Graham. We'll see how it all plays out. We'll be at Dan Mullen's press conference at 5 o'clock on Wednesday to see what he has to say about the 2020 class. Still some other spots that they'll have to fill by the first Wednesday in February. We're going to all watch it play out, and we will watch how it plays out tonight as UF Hoops is back in action. After taking a loss on the road at Butler, they spent a week trying to regroup in practice, and despite only scoring 62 points, Mike White was actually pleased with the offensive performance at Butler, and you actually asked that question to him that prompted that answer What did you think about his comments and just kind of how they've been working through that unit, which has been a work in progress? Yeah, this is an offense that is largely contingent on the jump shot. I think everyone realizes that when you watch the game, they rarely convert easy layups at the rim. I think against their in their last home game against Marshall, they only had one dunk by Scotty Lewis. This is a team that if they don't hit shots, it can get really, really ugly. And that isn't really what quantifies good offensive play. Uh, it's good ball movement, off-ball screen, moving without moving without the basketball, uh, playing unselfishly, making the extra pass, not hesitating, being vocal, you know, on and on and on. And that's what 
Mike White is talking about, that he saw at Butler in a very raucous home environment. The way that Butler plays, they had won 55 home games against non-conference opponents, the longest stretch in the nation. So not a lot of moral victories that people like at this time of year, but especially when you lose by 14 points. But but that's really how Florida views it. If they can put that all together, which I fully expect them to tonight against Providence at 7 p.m., then Florida will start to, I think, have more consistent offensive play. And that's really what Mike White can ask for now with SEC play just two games away. So, Zach, we'll, we'll continue to break it down. But I think that the Gators do pull out a double-digit victory here. I think that what would be more impressive, though, is if you start seeing guys shoot with confidence and hit outside shots. Noah Locke, yeah. Trey Mann, even Scotty Lewis, Andrew Nemhard, those guys are capable three-point shooters. And the Gators are shooting only 29.1% from the three-point line this year, more than 4% down than they were last year. And it's a team with better shooters. So you certainly would like to see that change if you're Mike White. And tonight will be the next chance for the Gators to do that. Yeah, and then, like you said, SEC play right around the corner. I think this basketball team needs to figure out as much as it can before that slate starts. So we will continue to monitor it. We'll be uh, back in the O-Dome soon, hopefully. It feels like it's been a while since the Gators played there. Not so. for actually 11 days still. We're Not till December 28th against Long Beach State, which will be their final non-conference game before SEC play starts January 4th against Alabama. So another long trip for the Gators. You know, actually, they've only played two home games, that Towson game on November 14th and then Marshall on November 29th. Those two home games in just the span of six weeks before SEC play, that's not really what you want to be doing when you're an SEC team struggling to get in sync on offense. Appreciate Graham for joining us on today's show, and that'll do it for the latest edition of Locked on Gators. Graham and I previewed the early signing period and talked some UF hoops on tomorrow's show, we will recap all the guys that Florida signed Wednesday and bring you some comments from Florida coach Dan Mullen. Make sure you stay tuned to Locked On Gators, your team every day. If you're looking for a last-minute fun sports gift for the holidays, go to breakingtea.com slash locked on. Breaking Tea makes sports t-shirts around teams' passion moments. Great for all fans. Go to breakingtea.com slash locked on and then feel free to search the site for great shirts and fun sports gifts.